Chapter Three of Dead Love Has Chains by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three. Lady Mary had made for herself a dignified position in the most respectable section of English society. The people whose country houses were built on land that their ancestors had won from royal fear or favor before the Wars of the Roses and whose town-houses had laid down red cloth for frederick prince of wales when newcastle was premier serious old houses in sober old streets where the iron extinguishers that flank the doorstep tell of lovely devonshire's sedan-chair and running footmen of the gunnings and the walpoles lady mary's friends were the kind of people who do not worship new money or apologize for going to the entertainments of mammon for the sake of music or gobble june peaches while they ridicule the providers of the feast lady mary's was a quiet world in which people set a tremendous value upon themselves exaggerated no doubt but still a kind of self-respect that kept them out of unclean paths lady mary's friends wanted to know a great deal about everybody who crossed their sacred thresholds or whose thresholds they crossed who was she what has he done where do they come from the splendid house the sumptuous feasting the costly music counted for nothing no doubt they are very nice but we don't want to know them that was the attitude of lady mary's friends to the newly rich and newly popular writers politicians actors and artists of all kinds were admitted on their merits and while they were observed to behave themselves properly but for the bad-mannered man the bounder or the cad there was short shrift invited once he was never asked again unless he were well born and then bad manners were described as eccentricity the scions of great houses could not do wrong lady mary had married a great shipbuilder it was a low marriage of course but had been tolerated on the ground of the man's unobtrusive manners and a certain grave dignity that might have become a duke his father had been rich before him and the son had been reared among the salt of the earth at eton and oxford lady mary was a duke's daughter and had brought her mate ten thousand pounds for two potage which was not a liberal portion considering the duke's wealth john harling could afford to brush aside the ducal dower as a negligible quantity when he dictated his marriage settlement he gave his wife a thousand a year for pin-money and when a mortal disease came upon him eleven years after his marriage he left her fifteen thousand a year during widowhood to be reduced to five thousand if she married and to five hundred if she married a man ten years younger than herself she was only thirty when he made his will with certain death near at hand and he wanted to guard her from the evil to come he told himself that while her boy was young her plaything and her idol she would not want to marry but that later in her mature years she might be a mark for the impecunious guardsman or the foreign adventurer lady mary's portion came from funded property but her son inherited his father's interest in the great shipbuilding firm which had been made into a limited liability company with the accumulations of a long minority and the increasing prosperity of the business conrad would have not less than thirty thousand a year when he came of age but before his twenty-first birthday conrad harling had been condemned to imprisonment for life and his fortune remained in the custody of his trustees who were men of position and impeccable honesty it was the worst kind of imprisonment the most hopeless the most melancholy mental specialists grave gentlemen from hardy street and savile row had sat in judgment upon him and had given their gloomy verdict for life they could see no prospect of cure it was one of those cases of loss of memory which are of all phases of mental derangement the most hopeless 
it was not that something had gone mysteriously wrong with the mental machinery something that might come mysteriously right the machine was broken the main spring of intelligence had snapped the man remained a magnificent man a picture or a statue of splendid manhood but the mind was cancelled doctors from paris doctors from berlin and vienna agreed with harley street and savile row conrad harling he who had been so much more alive than the ruck of men was practically dead he paced the leafy avenues of a park at roehampton with a keeper at his side though there was no need of a keeper for the house surgeon's report described the young man as harmless harmless he to be so described who at twenty had been like absalom in his beauty like hamlet in his distinction the observed of all observers the glass of fashion and the mould of form he who had been a star at eton and christ church admired followed imitated beloved an easy first in those accomplishments that youth worships in one word an oxford blue stroke of the christ church eight captain of the christ church eleven on the scholastic side he had not done wonders but everybody knew that he was clever and at twenty much might be hoped from him he was his mother's idol she lived only to worship him and to maintain the dignity the reserve the aloofness from all unworthy people and paltry things incumbent upon conrad's mother she thought of herself almost as if she had been a queen regent and regulated every act of her life by conrad's interests she looked forward to his coming of age as if it were to revolutionize the world or at least to begin a new chapter in english history with his means with his gifts his splendid presence his happy self-assurance and spontaneous eloquence to what heights of statesmanship and parliamentary renown might he not aspire she smiled when his college tutor told her that he was irregular at lectures and had very little goo for aristotle or greek tragedy what did it matter to a heaven-born orator who would take the house by storm and recall the splendid flights of that famous charles townsend described by walpole without townsend's failings he would come of age in a year she had begun to make plans and to discuss the festivities the banquets and benefactions the rural sports and wide-stretching hospitalities that were to make his twenty-first birthday memorable all over the county she talked of nothing else to her bailiff and house-steward in her summer visit to cranford it is my son's house she reminded them i only occupy it by his courtesy and when he marries i shall move to the grange the grange was on the other side of the park and its garden skirted the churchyard it was tudor and picturesque and handsomer than the average dower house but lady mary felt as if she would be laying down crown and sceptre when she left the great georgian mansion and the family portraits she was full of brilliant ideas for the coming-of-age festivities conrad's birthday was in august the month of golden grain and scarlet poppies and orchards brimming over with red and amber fruit the month of fertility and rich colour gaudy flowers and crimson sunsets lady mary would have everything early english a reminiscence of frith's picture coming-of-age in ye olden time her pet idea was a maypole dance on the village green which was lovely and unspoilt by cockney influences and the maypole might be left standing and the young people encouraged to dance on summer evenings she had reformed the village inn which had thriven upon the new system and was a favourite shelter for cyclists and pedestrians who were sure of crisp loaves and succulent cheese well-brewed tea and homemade jam at the harling arms everything in lady mary's dominion made for prettiness 
and her tenants and tradespeople and farm labourers had prospered exceedingly during her gracious regency nor was there any fear of evil times when the king began his reign benevolence and kindness would be the order of the day sustained by an ever-increasing income from the famous company in which conrad was the largest shareholder with no more arduous duty than to sit as chairman at a half-yearly meeting and draw his half-yearly dividends and then perhaps a few years after that joyous festival would come marriage and another ringing of bells and broaching of hogsheads lady mary did not wish her son to marry till he was at least four-and-twenty she would indeed have chosen twenty-six or twenty-seven as the marrying age when he had seen the world and had been in parliament for two or three years she wanted him to be free from all domestic cares in the beginning of his political career twenty-seven would be best she knew of half a dozen lovely girls now in the nursery or schoolroom girls born exactly as she would wish her daughter-in-law to be born in surroundings of unblemished respectability fortified by blue blood for lady mary's son blue blood was indispensable although she had descended from her patrician perch in marrying that excellent man his father having married mr harling she meant that the harling money should secure a patrician wife for mr harling's son the girls were growing up for him he who was so handsome and attractive so superlatively gifted in the accomplishments girls admire cricket tennis horsemanship dancing would have his choice among half a dozen beauties in their first season his mother meant to give him a free hand she would never dictate she would not even suggest but she would lead him through the gardens of fresh-blown roses and let his eye and his heart choose the flower that was to be the crown of his young life and while she was dreaming of her son's marriage in his twenty-sixth year conrad harling was going mad for love of an innkeeper's daughter and had turned socialist in his desire to level himself down to her he was a romantic young man full of high-flown sentiments and wild quixotism and he took up karl marx with an enthusiasm he had refused to aristotle he gave vent to republican views in red-hot speeches at the union reviled rank and state and raved about the equal rights of men and he was firmly resolved upon marrying stella meadows whose father kept the otter's head a favourite resort for boating men within a week of the long vacation he surprised and disappointed his mother by announcing that he meant to stay at abington and read and do a good deal of rowing so as to get himself in good form for next year when there was every chance of his being in the varsity eight he would go to her for a day or two now and then if she was at cranford or would meet her in london if she had any occasion to go there lady mary was sorry but after all it was important that he should prepare to face the examiners and if he could do better by himself in quiet riverside lodgings than touring in wales or scotland with a reading party his mother could have no objection she did not expect to enjoy much of his society in the long it was happiness enough to see him occasionally in high health and spirits to accompany him on the round of inspection on the estate and to find him pleased with all she had done intensely interested in the stables and his stud of hunters in the kennels where his shooting-dogs threatened to repeat the tragedy of actaeon out of exuberant love in lady mary's herd of jerseys and even in so tame a thing from the masculine standpoint as the gardens that were his mother's pride and joy but this year all was changed he came he was kind and interested in her health and went with her wherever she asked him stables farmyard kennels gardens but it was too clear that all savour had gone out of these familiar things 
he would not even have the cloths taken off his horses when they were brought out into the ancient quadrangle that'll do brand he told the stud groom they look in fine condition he gave his adoring setters and spaniels hardly three minutes and left them disappointed with great brown eyes looking at him reproachfully as he backed out of the old half-timbered building where they lived in the broken light from a window in the roof through which the sunshine came fitfully between the dusk of massive oak rafters juno looked miserable when you wouldn't notice her his mother said as they left the yard conrad was not conscious of the reproach he hardly noticed anything except in an automatic way that made his mother unhappy his mind was not there his thoughts and interests were miles away what was amiss was it debt his allowance was on the top scale of college allowances or a little above the highest scale but the capacity of undergraduates for getting into debt is supposed to be without limit and however much they have there is always the something more that they spend he had been losing money at cards perhaps or he had been backing a friend's horses and he was ashamed to tell her he looked pale and careworn her heart went out to him with infinite pity if it had been possible for him to squander his fortune in one year of folly to mortgage every acre and sell his patrimony to the jews and to reduce her to beggary his mother's power to love and pity would not have been exhausted she would have gone out of her ruined home with him hand in hand as adam and eve went out of eden disconsolate but not reproachful she questioned him gently she was sure there was something on his mind something that worried him and had been worrying him for some time would he not trust her if he had lost money in some rather foolish way he could draw on her for any sum he wanted to make things square without troubling his trustees she had a good balance at her bankers you dear old mother he exclaimed and he spoke with more animation than he had shown hitherto no i have not outrun the constable though i did spend more last term than i generally spend not betting no dear it went upon trifles foolish things but no harm but i know you have something serious on your mind conrad oh a fellow ought to have something to think of besides the college boat there is nothing wrong nothing that need trouble you when you are on your knees but you have hit the mark i have been thinking of something serious not the church what turn parson no you dear simpleton that's not in my line don't be impatient mother there shall be no secrets between you and me but you must let me take my own time he smiled down at her his face had grown suddenly radiant with the look she loved she called it his noble look an expression in which she saw truth and courage and honour and all good gifts that well-born youth should have a light flashed into her mind conrad was in love in love before his time seven years before the date that her sagacious mind had allotted for his marriage some pretty sister of one of his oxford friends had caught his youthful fancy perhaps a nobody's pretty sister a country vicar's daughter one of many but even if it were so it could but be calf love a boy's first fancy for a lovely face or a face that seemed lovely to that ardent young imagination such loves are light as children's soap bubbles look as dazzling in their iridescent glory and melt and pass like them she was not going to fret herself if her beloved boy had taken first love like measles or chicken-pox a complaint that had to be get through somehow her only regret was that the youthful malady seemed to have taken a gloomy form he was out of spirits absent-minded 
too evidently worried and perplexed even a mother's solicitude underestimated the evil for a young man of conrad's impassioned temperament first love must be disastrous if it be not happy with him love began at fever point from the hour he made the acquaintance of the prosperous innkeeper's petted daughter overdressed educated up to the highest all-round smattering point kept aloof from the bar in its vulgarities chaperoned by a spinster aunt who never snubbed an eligible undergraduate but rather contrived those casual introductions that can be brought about so easily on the river where there is always some kind of excitement and something of a festal air and one undergraduate having somehow introduced himself to aunt and niece was able to introduce others till the heiress of the otter's head had her following of nice boys and was established as an acknowledged beauty she was very pretty in the first freshness of girlhood she had that exquisite purity of colouring a fairness as of madonna lilies from which the idea of virginal innocence seems inseparable the sensitive complexion with its quick blushes the lucid blue of the large wondering eyes shining through golden lashes the flaxen hair all had an angelic character which was so out of harmony with coquetry and slyness that no experience of her cruelty or her want of truth could shake the lad's faith or startle him from his dream of bliss he had known her something less than half a year and he had been made to suffer every pang which slighted love can feel every joy that love triumphant can taste her smiles and kisses her frowns and coldness the moonlit nights when she would stroll with him in dewy lanes amid the subtle scent of hedgerow flowers and fields of blossoming beans his arm enfolding her slight form his eyes drinking the beauty of her face angelic in the magical moonlight my angel my wife he would murmur in those blissful moments the heavenly interludes in which he thought she loved him never for one brief flash had his mind harboured a thought dishonouring her that she could ever be anything less than his wife the first and most precious of women was impossible she was his first and last love a passion that had mastered heart and mind a passion that shut out every other thought and made existence one long dream of the woman he loved such a passion could have no second it is once and for ever he said when she told him that he would go away and forget her he had spent the greater part of his college allowance on jewels to deck his divinity but here that cold common sense which sometimes chilled him as out of harmony with the angelic came into play she would accept the gifts of her future husband but she would not wear them as the daughter of the otter's head people would laugh at pearls and diamonds on an innkeeper's girl she told him she was not elated at the idea of marrying him indeed there were times when she told him their marriage was a foolish dream that would never be realized she was a creature of moods and fancies capricious unreasonable and she kept him under the harrow by her cold fits and hot fits her hours of yielding love her hours of coldness and restraint so determined was he upon having her and only her to share his fortune and rule his life that in opposition to her wish he called upon the landlord of the otter's head and made a formal offer of his hand the man received the flattering proposition gravely and with something of embarrassment it's a serious thing for a gentleman like you to think of marrying a publican's daughter he said and you're very young sir to make up your mind about marriage hardly of age yet i take it i shall be twenty-one next year and i have made up my mind and what about stella she's a bit of a flirt you must know though i say it as shouldn't 
are you quite sure of her yes she gave me her promise last night it was not the first time but it was the first time i felt sure quite sure that she loves me his face was radiant as he remembered those impassioned vows all her capricious moods her slights her coldness were forgotten she had given him unmistakable tokens of a love fervid as his own her arms had been round his neck her lovely head nestling on his shoulder and heart had been beating against heart in passionate unison while that fond vow was spoken your wife dearest never any man's wife but yours never 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 and then had come a flood of tears and stormy sobs that threatened hysteria and it had been his tender care to soothe her shaken nerves to comfort her with happy talk about their future and now her father who might naturally be supposed to receive such an offer with gratification if not astonishment discussed the situation with a troubled brow and perplexed manner of course it's a great chance for my girl he said hesitatingly everybody knows mr harling why i remember your father sir thirty years ago when he was at christchurch a famous scholar i believe yes my father took a much better degree than his son is likely to take never mind that sir he never had your form on the river but to return to my girl does your ma know of your intentions not yet she will know in good time and i have no doubt of her approval when she sees stella she is the kindest of women and her only wish is for my happiness you see sir it don't often happen for a gentleman of your wealth and position your ma with a handle to her name i'm told to marry a girl out of a pub i'm afraid her ladyship might cut up rough and make it unpleasant for you i don't want you to trouble yourself about that conrad said with a touch of hauteur i mean to marry stella within a week of my coming of age that will give time for my mother to know and appreciate my future wife you see i am not going to work in a hot-headed way but it was only right that you should be told of your daughter's engagement and should have no doubt as to the propriety of her conduct when you happen to see her or to hear of her in my company the innkeeper was somewhat moved by this speech you're a trump sir he said i wish there was more like you and-and you're a great catch for my girl and i hope she'll prove worthy of her luck but she's very young and she's been a bit giddy you see she's out in a way the prettiest girl between oxford and abingdon and the undergrads and-and others have made a fool of her she lost her mother when she was eleven years old and i've been too busy to look after her much i sent her to the best school i could hear of a boarding-school for gentlemen's daughters it was a favour to take her but the school wasn't doing well and went bankrupt soon after she kicked over the traces a bit at school couldn't stand the rules and regulations and then i got my maiden sister to come and take care of her but my sister's a featherhead she was something of a beauty herself in her time and was made so much of that she could never bring herself to accept a husband in her own walk of life and i don't know whether she has been quite the best sort of person to look after stella stella has too much self-respect to want looking after conrad said he knew the aunt and considered her a foolish person but he believed in his divinity's intelligence as he believed in her purity now sir if you really intend to make stella your wife in a twelvemonth from now i should like with all deference to offer you a bit of advice 
let me send her away from oxford and the river and the class of people that hang about my house i've kept her out of the business she never drew a glass of beer in her life but there it is you may call a public-house an hotel and furnish your sitting-rooms up to date but public-house it is all the same we must get stella out of it you'll want her to be made a lady before you marry her and there's only one way that it can be done as far as i can see she was eighteen on her last birthday so she's not too old for a good finishing school a school where they teach deportment and such like if you'll find out where there is such a school leamington perhaps or in the neighbourhood of reading an out-and-out -out good school where the schoolmistress is a real lady and can be depended on i'll send stella there for a year i don't mind what it costs i want to make a lady of her and to get her away from people i don't like that's flat he thumped his honest fist upon the table and spoke with a determination that startled conrad it was as if a doctor were proposing some heroic treatment in a desperate case i hate the idea of schoolmistresses they would make her prim and artificial they would kill the charm of my wild rose you must have her made a lady sir she mustn't stop here conrad argued the point sturdily but stella's father was resolute i know what i'm about he said the otter's head is no place for her i've been wanting to get her away for the last six months and now i'll do it it'll be the making of her he was going to say the saving of her but chose the less ominous word conrad had to submit he told stella of the plan in their evening walk she was angry with her father and contemptuous about his views she was angry with her lover for consenting to degrade her i suppose you think i am ignorant that i pronounce words wrong and i'm not fit to mix with genteel people he soothed and petted her told her she was his ideal lady but she must not talk of people being genteel she had better forget that there was such a word in the language there was nothing derogatory in a finishing school it was not his idea but her father's for his own part he would not have her changed in the most trifling detail if there were some little differences between her and the girls he had met elsewhere those slight divergencies only made her more fascinating she listened and was soothed and appeared to agree to her father's plan he left her in hot haste to discover the ideal seminary in which just that last polishing process might be applied to the lovely statue just the artistic treatment that would embellish without altering his goddess he took the first train to london and went about among the few immaculate matrons with whom he was on friendly terms surprising them by his eagerness for information on a subject that seemed hardly within the range of his interests three out of five knew nothing of schools and shuddered at the notion of anything but home education for so precious a being as a girl child the other two knew hard cases of anglo-indian children who had to be brought up at school and each had her pet establishment her incomparable missus who could create the perfection of girlhood out of the most unpromising material two of the incomparable misses had a handsome house and gardens at eastbourne quite away from the town and the parade and all the holiday people don't you know an abode of refined dullness conrad imagined where a pupil might die of ennui without ever having run against a vulgar person the back windows commanded a distant view of the grounds of compton place this in itself gave a cachet nobody happened to know of any establishment at leamington or reading conrad tore down to eastbourne by cab and train 
catching the afternoon express with a rush and drove in a fly to mandeville house where miss mandeville and miss amelia mandeville fostered all that was delectable in girlhood and eliminated every weed in their garden of girls it was a sunny afternoon and the plain white house facing southwest was glorified every scarlet stripe in the spanish blinds a flash of intense colour the lawns and geranium beds dazzling nowhere did he remember to have seen such purple clematis such amber roses such scarlet cannas everything was steeped in sunlight it was the kind of afternoon that raises an english landscape to the colour point of italy girls were playing tennis their white frocks flashing in the sun their joy in the game breaking into peals of light laughter miss amelia mandeville took him round the house and the grounds everywhere he found perfection the desires and the ways of girls studied with a forethought and sympathy that surprised him he had supposed that schoolmistresses considered girlhood their natural enemy and took infinite pains to traverse and stifle girlish instincts here infinite pains had been taken to realize every wish and gratify every natural taste beauty was the dominant note the spinsters had eyes for form and colour and a catholicity of taste in all things beautiful the house stood on high ground half a mile from the coast and the sea beheld from afar was a glorified sea sapphire and gold against the verdant middle distance everything pleased conrad surely his dearest girl would be happy there for the year of their engagement only one little year before she would be mistress of his home and all that home implies for a man of large means yes assuredly she would be happy the change from those unworthy surroundings at the otter's head would make this place seem paradise he remembered that there were details small differences in her forms of speech that wanted refining away for him all she said was enchanting but the women among whom his wife would have to live are critical about trifles they have their shibboleth and if they talk bad english it must be their own kind of bad english upon accent they are to be the last degree intolerant and they would boycott an angel with a cockney twang and there were accents of stella's that touched the boundary line of vulgarity when she was angry or excited conrad began to think highly of his future father-in-law's wisdom of course it must be his privilege to pay the charges of mandeville house which were on a scale in accordance with the luxuries and refinements of the establishment he rushed back to oxford by a night train too late to visit his enchantress he lay awake thinking of her picturing her among those happy girls he had seen on the tennis lawn the fairest were all were fair the most divine he went to the otter's head in the early morning before breakfast she was not an early riser but perhaps she might feel some of his own impatience for their meeting after his absence of one long day and she might be curious to hear his account of the ideal seminary that was to make her as perfect in speech and manner as she was exquisite in personal charm the innkeeper met him with a scared white face i've got some bad news for you sir he said he led the young man into his den behind the bar the room where he kept his accounts and where he sat of an evening with a crony or two or with a solitary pipe while his daughter and her aunt were in their drawing-room upstairs where they could have their own visitors aloof from vulgarity she's gone she's gone sir cut and run the the his speech closed huskily with a hideous epithet that was doubly horrible when linked with the name of his daughter and then for the first time since he entered into his fool's paradise conrad harding was told what kind of woman he had loved
it didn't seem a father's place to give her away the innkeeper said but i spoke as plain as i dared and i thought that having been lucky enough to meet with a gentleman of your mettle willing to make a lady of her she'd have turned over a new leaf i never thought she'd have anything more to do with him and then conrad learnt that he had a rival and such a rival a prize-fighter the champion middleweight famous in the sporting world an olive-skinned gladiator with close-cropped hair of raven blackness a blue chin a broken nose and a drunken wife he had come to abingdon for a holiday while he was out of training and he had stayed at the otter's head the centre of an admiring company an attraction to the jovial bar a profitable guest conrad had seen him sculling in the sunshine the muscular arms bare to the shoulder the supple form shining like pale bronze this was the man she loved the master she obeyed the brute force that had subjugated her trivial nature while the young undergraduate's passion had only flattered her vanity she had left her father's house in the early morning and had gone to liverpool with her rough lover on the first stage of their flight to america where the pugilist had a profitable engagement the drunken wife was left in an oxford slum and stella's letter posted on the journey told her father what she had made of her life she was leaving england perhaps for ever with the only man she had ever loved they would be married in america where he could easily get a divorce and where he would be a rich man conrad listened in a stony silence all the life had gone out of his bloodless face his eyes those splendid blue eyes had become dull and expressionless he stood with stella's letter in his hand staring at the words as if they had no meaning can i see her aunt he asked at last she knows more than you do perhaps yes curse her she knows more than enough she can tell me now that it's too late they always do those women if ever i had a dishonest barman they'd tell me about him fast enough when he was gone it's a way they have curse them they're a bad lot sir every one of em rotten to the core he threw his cloth cap at his favourite bull terrier and then mixed a stiff brandy and soda it was easy to guess where this bereft father would look for consolation have a drink sir no i'll go and see your sister he knew his way to the gaudy little upstairs room facing the river the room in which he had spent many an hour with aunt and niece a favoured visitor the crochet antimacassars and stuffed trout and pike the beaded reed blinds and blue ginger jars the mixture of early victorian and cheap japanese had set his teeth on edge even in stella's bewitching company and he had yearned to see her in the grave old rooms at cranford the rooms were things of beauty curios porcelain pictures hardly counted in the effect of panelled walls and atom doors and mantelpieces and all the glory of cedar-shadowed lawns and italian garden he found the elder miss meadows with swollen eyelids and every sign of tribulation but loquacious in her grief she covered herself with reproaches and gave him no time to blame her as he had been disposed to do so even amidst her incoherence he heard only too much heard how the sweet simplicity he had adored was the varnish of an unscrupulous coquette how she had carried on that was the aunt's phrase with mr so-and-so of balliol and lord so-and-so of bray's nose how the carryings-on had begun when she was sixteen and how it was only by reason of her aunt's prudential measures that worse things had not happened conrad had to listen while she expatiated upon stella's artfulness and let in strange lights upon the career of a plebeian beauty the presents the treats the carrying on 
those arms that had clung round his neck so tenderly the dimpled cheek that had pressed against his own those exquisite lips whose fragrance he had drunk were the hackneyed charms of a low-bred wanton he heard that cataract of vulgar speech in a strange silence he looked as he had looked in the innkeeper's snuggery like flesh turned into stone except to ask to see this woman he had hardly spoken since he came into the house he made no comment upon the story she told him he went out of the house in the same frozen silence and walked away with his face to the west and the towered city of oxford saw him no more End of chapter three